Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis, and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, welcome. It's Wednesday, the 8th of September. It's Anthony, and I'm back after my brief disappearance. And, um, you know, one of the things I like to do when I'm away, I did have a listen to the first five minutes because I knew there'd be a pop shop in my absence <laughs> from, uh, from both you, Piers, and uh, my replacement, Eddie. And uh, to just to fill the, the listeners in, I actually saw Piers in the office in person in the city yesterday. And first thing he said, he was like, have you seen the podcast numbers when you're away? Yeah, the numbers <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> And so, yeah, this is this is the world I live in, where I'm. It's true. I mean, the average. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers now, but the percentage of people that listened to the entire podcast last week was a higher. Percent, the retention rate was the highest it's ever been. So you know, I think, as I said, the numbers don't lie. I mean, you're lucky to be allowed back on. If I'm being honest, well, um, if you want, if you want me to go on holiday again. Then uh, you, you just say the word, and I'll, I'll jump in the car. I'm off. But um, no, it's, it's it's good to be back. And obviously, we we will still do our regular Friday piece. So don't worry. This is an interim episode because, um, as we have promised, there's some um, developments that are happening within Amplify. We wanted to just kind of come on um, peers as as our regular listeners will know is the co-founder of Amplify Trading back in 2009 uh, and then I joined the firm in 2015 and I'm a director and, and, and head of market analysis but what I wanted to do was talk about some of these changes some of you might have seen online through our social accounts things like that uh, this kind of new brand amplify me uh, but to understand that mission I think it's important for everyone people who are very familiar with us 
who've been with us for many years to those you know just coming across Amplify to understand our journey and and why we're pivoting and, and moving in a slightly different direction. So, I mean, first off, Piers, just take take me back and uh, and remind me a little bit of the journey in its inception of Amplify and how things really started when you first um, created Amplify in 2009. Yeah, well, we, Will and I were, were trading for a US trading firm that, that we'd been with for, for many years. And um, I don't know, personally, I, I always had the ambition to start my own company. And that really came from, I think, from my, from my background, from my, my father always ran his own companies. Um, and I think I grew up with that and I thought it was pretty cool. And I wanted to do that. <laughs> Something I aspired to. Um, it's just that I had no idea what, it, what my company would do. And, and really, I, I think at an early age, I understood, right, I need, a, I need an area of expertise here. Uh, I need a, a field in which I'm an expert to then have some kind of opportunity to go, okay, let's try and build a company in this space. So, you know, I, I became a trader and that was my thing. Um, and then Will um, came along and it was actually Will's idea. He said, look, do you, do you fancy, you know, spinning out of this place and maybe going it alone? And, and it took me about three seconds to decide it wasn't a decision. It was already, it, the seed had been planted years ago, right? And so I was like, bang, yeah, let's do it. I mean, it literally took me three seconds. Let's do it. And, and then, so we spun out of this US company. And, we, and like the, the immediate thing is, right, let's, well, let's obviously set up a company. And obviously all of the, I don't know, the red tape and the logistics and all the rest of it that go with that. You know, you've got to register the business. You've got to, you know, do little stuff like opening bank accounts and all this kind of stuff and building a website and, uh, you know, thinking about a name and all this stuff, right? So we're doing that. And then it's like, well, actually, okay, we're, a trade, we're traders and we're building a trading firm. So we need traders. Okay, fine. Uh, how do we get traders? Well... We don't, you know, we're a startup, so it's not like, you know, we didn't have external funding. So it's not like we had a, you know, a Series A, <laughs> which, you know, a million pounds coming in with investors X, Y, Z. We, we, we self-funded the whole lot. So we didn't have unlimited quantities of money. So it was like, right, well, can we create our own trading team? I mean, experienced traders are expensive. So it wasn't like, right, let's cherry pick all our mates and the best ones because that's going to be super expensive. Can we create a trading team from scratch? You know, can we take someone who's coming out of university who knows nothing about the realities of operating in a market-based role? Can we take that individual and can we put them through a process of learning that can see them become uh, a successful, consistently profitable trader. And so, yeah, we started building this, this program, this training program, which was all about very, you know, all about prop trading, which is what we were. We were prop traders. So it was all about, you know, short-term um, market volatility, trading the macro spikes and, and so we, we, we kind of created this program and, and, and that's where we started. Um, Will and I were trading as well. And, you know, it was hard work. We were trading and then also trying to build this company and also 
running all the training and, and actually designing the training programs. Um, and that's how we started out. Um, that, that was the birth of, of the company. So, so fast forward a couple of years then, because now, um, you know, even when I joined the firm, we were working with quite a few universities. Yeah. But obviously now that number's gone up a lot. And so how did the first university interaction happen? Yeah, so it become it became quite clear, and I, and I guess this is a, anybody who started a company will perhaps be able to relate to this. You have a plan, right? And you know, oh, you, you know, the business schools will say, right, you've got to set out your five year business plan. You know, write it down. And obviously, if you're seeking external investment, well, clearly that's key. You need the plan. You need to sell the vision and get the investors on board. We didn't have that, right? But obviously, we still had a plan, but. There's nothing like launching yourself as a business and an entity into the world and becoming a tangible thing that then that attracts opportunities. Once you're a thing and you're a business and you're operating, you then attract, you know, people go, oh, hang on, that's interesting. What, what are Amplify doing? Oh, okay, let's, let's give them a call, see if they want to collaborate. Or... And so you, you end up with all these different tangents coming your way, if you're doing well, obviously. Um, and, and one of the difficulties of running a business is to just try and uh, not take on too much too early. I mean, one classic reason why businesses fail, they try and do too, they try and take on too many of the opportunities at the start and they've got, they don't have the resources, they spread themselves too thin and they end up doing none of them very well. So, you know, you have to be quite selective. But one of the opportunities was, and an obvious extension of what we were doing was, well, look, we wanted to train graduates to sit on our trading floor. Well, where do these graduates come from? Well, universities, obviously. And so we're like looking for tie-ups with business schools, you know, where we can tap into their their, their cohorts of, of students. And, but we were looking, uh, and we were knocking on the doors of lots of them, um, but actually it was uh, a US business school called Holt Business School were the first ones. And they were very progressive, uh, quite innovative. Um, and they were about, and, and, and I think because they weren't a top tier business school, um, they weren't reliant, over-reliant on their name and their history. And they're like the new guys on the block trying to scramble up that ladder. And one of the ways they were trying to do that was really invest in, you know, cool, innovative, practical, um, vocational um, led training uh, with technology. And so we were kind of, look, guys, check out what we've got. And they were super interested. And we started to be part of their um, MSC and finance program. No, so it's, it's a really interesting description because I get that new kid on the block to disrupt. You need something a little bit different. So how has it been for the more traditional, the red bricks, these yeah. types of universities to adopt this type of way of learning? Because I always thought perhaps, uh, you know, you'd like to think that as a professor, you've got this amazing tech, you roll it out, everyone's buzzing. But then as a professor, I would want people buying into me. This is my yeah. knowledge. This is all about me. And I'm sharing my wealth of expertise with you. And all of a sudden, I've been replaced <laughs> by tech. Has there been any resistance like that at all? Yeah, or? for sure. And I think there's kind of two angles here with that resistance. Number one is thinking about the institution. So let's take Cambridge. Um, we work with them now. But, oh, my God, that was a hard client to win. And that's because... Well, we don't need you. That was their attitude. It was like, well, we're Cambridge. <laughs> you know, why would we need 
external people coming in, adding to what we're doing, which is amazing. And everyone wants a piece of our action anyway. So we don't need you. You know, that's the kind of first default response, I would say. And so that's a really hard barrier to overcome. But that happens when the take up and adoption of the Amplify kind of simulations uh, across the entire Russell Group universities really meant that they were forced into needing to work with us because look, it's just become the norm and it's the perfect kind of practical um, add-on to theoretical um, modules. So that's one thing. The other thing is then on the, the as you mentioned, the professor side, the individual professor, and you then there's really two categories. I mean, I'm obviously um, I'm, I'm generalizing massively here, but the broadly two categories. One is like you're suggesting. Well, look, I've been running this program for ten years. Um, I'm incredibly good at it. Uh, the students love it. They get huge value out of it, and they're academics and theorists, and and therefore, as you say, I think probably. Sometimes, like almost unconsciously, they're a little bit um, feel threatened by certainly the idea of technology, but also the idea of practical industry-led training, that they're traditionalists, which is university is for studying theory. The other category of professors is the exact opposite, where they tend to be a bit younger, tend to be a bit more, um, you know, forward thinking and they're more about the student and they're like well actually what do these students want from life at university sure they want a good time sure they want to learn clearly and they want to grow as individuals but in the end they want to get a job i mean that's what university is for it's to get up the rungs to then get the best job that they can aspire to and there's certain professors in in, in universities that are all fully behind that and they're absolutely you know, they're trailblazers where they're trying to do everything they can to give their students the best opportunities. And certainly bringing Amplify in is a key part um, of that initiative. It's funny. It's like one of the things that you said, like the younger professors, they really want to get you job ready in that sense, career oriented. But most people, I think, can sympathize who've gone to university that I mean, I didn't even, was there a career service when I was at university? I'm not, I don't even know if there was one. I mean, but that's the point. I mean, there was very little input. I remember when I was at uni about careers. And if it was, it was super light touch. Yeah. Here's a, here's a pamphlet about something. Yeah. It wasn't anything more than that. So, um, yeah, how, how yeah. do you kind of see that? Well, I think, yeah, I think that the, the careers provision at universities has definitely is on a pr- improving trajectory. One of the reasons behind that is being the over the years the kind of evolution of the university ranking system, um, and actually part of the ranking now, how good is your university? Part of that ranking is actually now what's the average starting salary of your graduates. And so because that's fed into the rankings, it's like these unis are obviously, you know, it's a kind of selfish strategy now. It's like, oh, okay, well, if they get better jobs, well, actually, we're going to get up the league table, which is good for us. So they're they're, they're putting more budget behind the uh, careers provision. However, it's still woefully inadequate, in my opinion, 
um, looking across the whole kind of university sector. And a lot of it is, I mean, there was a career service at my university, but I never went to it. I never engaged with it at all, not once. Um, so I think it's there, but most students don't realize it's there. Or, and, and the problem with certainly finance, which I know most about, and, and sure, I'm definitely willing to admit, I don't know much about other sectors with regards to the recruitment process, but certainly with finance, you've got to be, you've got to be on it from year one. If you want to get a job at a big bank, you literally have, and not only year one, semester one, and not only semester one, the first half of semester one of your life at university, you've got to be applying for spring week positions at big banks. And most students uh, just arrived. It's a big new chapter in their life. There's all this new stuff going on. You know, maybe it's the first time they've moved away from home. They're really becoming an adult. They got these mates. There's all this social stuff. And, and the last thing in the world they're thinking about is, oh, hang on. I need to get a job in three years. Let's get started. And I think there's a big failure from the career service side to not communicate this properly and forcefully, uh, you know, giving them the reality check right at the start and making sure they're on the treadmill of this recruitment process. But we'll talk about the treadmill of this recruitment process in a minute because we want to disrupt it because it's broken. But, but yeah, I think certainly career services yeah, I remember, need uh, to be more. A freshers' week, it certainly wasn't uh, come and sign up for the spring week at XYZ firm. It was more like um, come on the Stella Artois walking tour <laughs> for twenty pounds with twenty golden coins and uh, see how you fare for the evening. But well, I, I was at London, I was at university in London, and I think there was the it was the Circle Line pub crawl. Oh, yeah. Just have a think. Anybody knows the London Tube Network? Just count how many tube stops there are on the Circle Line, and. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever pulled it off. There's like 20 or 30 stops. And the idea is you get off at each stop and go and have a drink. Yeah, that's kind of what we were doing rather than, yeah, oh, hang on, I need to think about my career. To add some context, though, uh, given that you know, we, we deal with the people who recruit at these, at these banks now, uh, and also we're aware of the statistics, but it's the large proportion because what the spring week leads to is then a, re a return to come for a summer internship placement. And then the large majority, so three quarters of the people who secure the grad place, come through the internal pipeline, given that they've had the benefit of an extended interview process, having seen this candidate through these stages. So just to add some context to what Piers was saying, that's, that's why it's so critical to get in early it doesn't mean it's impossible to jump in at the last hurdle in, into a grad role with no experience. It just means that it's incredibly challenging. Uh, that's all. Uh, but yeah. going, going forward then, so you've got this trading business, your prop trading, the university client books building. How do the corporates then come in at this point? And what's the, what's the evolution there? Right. Well, there it was about our technology. So over the year, like when we started Amplify, we had no technology. We had our, mine and Will's, trading know-how and we were good traders um and actually we perhaps didn't realize it when we set out but but I, i'd like to think we're actually good teachers as well and so i think we were able to kind of teach our skills and our knowledge and put it in a way that's understandable for someone who's at square one um but we had no technology to kind of back that up and facilitate that learning but I, but 
definitely that was a you know a direction we began to go in quite early on in in <clears throat> Amplify's life. I think it was a couple of years into our journey, and then actually we met two guys from Imperial College. So I was an Imperial alumni, and we met two guys from Imperial who'd done one. They were done one of our um programs and and anyway they both got on internships summer internships at two big banks and then they went back to uni and they were in trading roles uh, sales trading roles um and market making roles and they went back to uni and they thought well actually you know maybe and they, they were doing maths and they were super smart and they said actually i reckon we can create a simulation that kind of replicates what we've just done this summer and so they built this kind of crude system and then they came to us and said look this is what we've got do you want to kind of, because they wanted to get into universities to start, you know, trying to get this tech out there. So, so students could have a go on it and better understand the industry, but they had no contacts, you know, they didn't have a network, but we did. So they kind of came to us and said, look, this is what we've got. And so we started a joint venture and we kind of took their kind of basic platform and, and really it's been through, well, nearly 10 years worth of evolution now, that, that kind of technology, but that was kind of where it was born. And I think with the banks, it was very much about going to them and saying, to start with, it was going to them and saying, look, we've got simulation technology that replicates exactly the roles that happen on your trading floor. And it replicates those exactly because it's been built by people who have done those roles. Now, you, the bank, you understand there's a big gap between university and the realities of operating in, in trading floor roles. So at the moment, at that point, their kind of training programs were, again, all lecture-based, all theory-based. You know, you go on these grad schemes at banks, it's like six weeks, but you, you just learn theory, right? And then you just go and sit on the desk and watch, and you don't actually get to do. And the big problem there is also on the desk, you've got professionals, you know, um, of varying degrees of seniority and they're doing their jobs and it's super pressurized and there's stuff going on. And the last thing they need is some newbie tapping in on the shoulder. Oh, hang on. What, sorry, what, what are you doing there? Why have you done that? You know, and it's, so it's a really imperfect kind of uh, process. So we said to these banks, look, well, we can really help here by adding this simulation um, to your training process that will elevate this newbie's kind of understanding of what's going on on that desk and better prepare them for when they join that desk. And so the banks started to adopt this as part of their summer internship programs and, and grad schemes. So, so, I mean, this takes us up to pretty much where we're at at the moment. Before we start delving into some other, I, I think, things to talk about that are really important, like diversity, mental health, a lot of the core things that I think that we as a company can address to a certain degree, but we are changing the business. Yeah. Uh, and so for you know, a very long time, and you know, I myself, you as well, over many years, we've got to form some really great relationships. You know, the whole teaching people how to trade meant that really we interacted with people from all walks of lives. I mean, yeah. I, I remember specifically on the trading floor one, one time when we had uh, a London cabbie sat beside Queen's Council um, barrister. <laughs> and you were like, the two individuals couldn't be more different, absolutely clicked like a house on fire. Yeah. And they both performed exactly the same yeah. in terms of PL, 
and how they traded. Uh, and that, that, that was always really fascinating to be part of that. And, but we are, we are going to be ending that, that prop trading arm. And, and how do you feel about that? I mean, that, that was how the company was born. Yeah, it was for many years. You are a trader by expertise, like you said. Probably that's not quite true today because I know you now oversee a lot of the tech team and stuff like that and managing the business overall. But how do you feel about it, the change? It's like our oldest child has just left home. (laughs) You know, it's like that was like our baby. That's where we started. And it feels... um, it was hard, um, but we had this building and building and building and overriding um, sense of what we are and who we are as a business and what we want to do in this world. And I think that as we grew and we took on more and more and more university clients and, and therefore interacting with thousands of students who are at universities you know, studying theory, but wanting to get into finance and wanting to engage with a kind of practical exercise. The thousands and thousands of students we're dealing with. And then as our business grew on the bank side, the more and more banks that adopted our technology as part of their grad schemes, and the more we were interacting with the HR departments at banks, the more and more clear it became that this was an entirely broken system. And I think we amplify, we sit right in the middle of the student and the organizations that hire students. We sit right in the middle. And I think we're actually in a unique position to be able to view this recruitment process from both sides. So that's from the student's point of view and then from the bank's point of view. And it's become more and more obvious that from both sides, this thing doesn't work. And it's a system that we feel incredibly passionate about trying to fix. And yes, it's definitely about disrupting and not only disrupting, like reinventing the recruitment process for finance globally. You know, that's our mission. You know, you often you talk about, you hear companies talking about what's their mission. Um, and I think we had a mission when we started. It's just that that mission has, you know, slowly and subtly evolved over time to the point where the sort of the, the, the momentum behind that mission to make a change and make a difference to people's lives on the student side, but also that mission to try and, you know, solve the chronic lack of diversity in large financial institutions, that, that, that mission has just become overwhelming to the point now that we want to, and we are, putting 100% of our resources behind that one mission. It now entirely defines us. And that does mean, you know, that, that, trade, that more trader-centric focus side of, of what, where we started and what we used to do. Yeah, it's just been, it's just been put to one side um, because we've got bigger things um, that we want to achieve. Yeah, and kind of the underlying core of that technology is about judging people by their performance. And that's something that really, for me, is quite personal because I'm a person who played a lot of sport as a youngster, had ambitions, 
whether whether they were going to ever be realized or not that i wanted to be a professional athlete and no not ping pong before you say peers <laughs> or badminton which most people they're the two that most people think well i've played you at table tennis so there, was, there was never any danger of you being a pro table tennis player no definitely not uh, I've, I've let my half chinese side down on uh, on that front but yeah I, I was kind of you know very focused at school into sport i would say uh, my academics probably suffered as a result. I had a few things in my personal life. At the time, my mother was very ill. She ended up passing away when I was a teenager, kind of lost a bit of direction, wasn't really then wanted to see through the sports side, ended up stumbling through college and university. So I did okay. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't cut the mustard on paper for a lot of these banks. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I find so fascinating now is that looking back in hindsight, the job that I did for the first 10 years of my career, running a, a kind of a news analysis desk, it was incredibly stressful at the time, but I'm almost incredibly thankful for that opportunity. And actually, it showed me that nearly every attribute that made me good at that job came from my life experience and also my personality. Yeah, The stuff about applied economics i learned and it was challenging because i didn't know anything to start but everything i my only kind of real success came out of my attitude and my ability to be able to do all the things that were necessary for a high pressured role which was really born out of sport more than anything and so i'm very passionate about this kind of flattening this field because even now i i still see a lot of the the interns who do have success and the type of backgrounds that they have and um you know it's great if you have opportunity in life you know absolutely you must take advantage of that but certainly not coming from that there's almost like this desire to help other people uh in that situation and perhaps playing you know the sport i played was basketball and basketball is a notorious sport it's kind of like football is in the uk for example the people who play football in the UK, usually from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, very yeah. mixed ethnicities. And they're not the types of people who generally go to work on Wall Street or in the city of London. But for me, I'd like to think that, you know, this is, this is what I feel very passionate about because my interactions with these people is that there's extreme talent. I've always sort of thought of the world as in, you know, there's a Serena Williams of the finance world just sitting there waiting to be unearthed. It's just that traditional recruitment methods or the way that banks have seen the employment process before is so rigid that yeah. it hasn't allowed Serena to break through yet in our field. And so, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Serena never gets unearthed. Yeah. And that, that's the, that, that right there is one of our driving um, sort of ambitions is to make sure that every Serena out there not only gets discovered and unearthed, but also gets then fast-tracked and connected with these institutions so that they do get on that platform and, and can become who, who they're, you know, supposed to become. Um, you know, I think banks, if we think about it just from the bank's side, and we'll talk about the student side in a second, but from the bank's side, yeah, historically, 
look, they're changing, right? And they're aware of, you know, of course, they're aware of the situation. I mean, diversity is the buzzword. And a lot of big banks are setting out, you know, really, you know, what looks like on the face of it, some really impressive, ambitious sort of diversity plans, okay? Um, but historically, of course, it used to be that banks would hire just from target universities. So they, they it'd be the top five, top five universities. Let's just talk about the UK, but it would be the same in America or in Asia and whatever. We'll just hire from the top five unis because the, the kind of one-dimensional, quite naive thought process is, well, they're the brightest minds of their generation because otherwise, you know, how else would they have gotten into that top five? Now, straight away, of course, that means that you're assuming that everyone who's not in the top five um, is not bright and doesn't have any potential. Um, of course, there's a huge portion of people that have incredible potential that never get anywhere near to the top five unis, not because they, they're not good enough or don't have the potential to be good enough. They're just where they've come from in their life. They're just so disconnected from that world of Oxford and Cambridge. I mean, what, well, I know they're two football teams, but do they do anything else? You know, it's like they're just that university's not even on their radar. Their family's never been to university. You know, their families have never done A-levels, never mind going to university, right? And so they're coming from a place that can't get them to that stage by their early 20s, top five unis. And so they're entirely missed. Um, the other thing is that the problem that banks found, and one of the reasons why they're evolving, is that they realized that uh, hiring from the top five meant that they were hiring basically the same person. And it became an incredibly one-dimensional workforce. And they're all super successful academics. They've had an academic career where they've done nothing but succeed. And so, yes, they've done amazingly well at GCSEs, amazingly well at A-levels. Yes, they've got their place at Cambridge. Yes, they've smashed it and they're super academic. Success, success, success. And so the banks are like, right, they're the creme de la creme. We need those people. Come with us. Here's a load of money. Come and sit on our trading floor. And then they get to the trading floor and the, <laughs> the harsh reality of a market-based role is that markets don't always go up. Although looking at the S&P chart, you might be <laughs> forgiven for thinking that, but markets don't always go up. You're not always successful. Sometimes you're going to lose money. And, they, and this is the key, right? How do you deal with adverse scenarios and these academic elite students? And again, I'm generalizing big time. So by no means am I suggesting that everyone at Cambridge has had a, an entirely smooth ride for their entire life, but a lot have, and a lot are not equipped and don't have the resilience to deal with adverse situations on the trading floor because they've never been exposed to it. It's, not, it's, it's through no fault of their own. It's just that their trajectory has not put them in a situation where they've failed or where it's not going right or something's not working out as they thought. And then they're just not equipped to kind of then deal with those scenarios. Um, so banks recognize this. Now they've, they've certainly put in place the wheels have started moving towards addressing this. But if you look at the press and look at these big, bold headlines, you know, Goldman's are now, uh, you know, def only hiring or only, sorry, Goldman's are going to hire 50% females and 50% males. That's it. Okay. And that's a great headline and it's great PR. You know, if you want to be 
a little bit critical about this is great PR. Um, but behind those scenes, fine, 50-50, sure. But where are these 50 females coming from? Top five universities. It's like, well, no, right, okay, fine. You're, you're trying to diversify in one way, but you're not really truly diversifying. And I think that the, yes, the banks recognize they've got to change, but the rate of change is fantastically slow. And the distance they've got than the track of change is way smaller than what you would imagine your perception is having read all the press around these big diversity initiatives that these banks are, are kind of putting into place. So this is where we come in because to be fair to the banks, it's hard to change. You know, how can you find Serena at Bangor University where she's studying psychology? How, did, how, how the hell do they unearth that person when Serena doesn't even know herself yeah. that she's an amazing market maker and should be working for Morgan Stanley? So this is Amplify Me. It is the platform where the entire global student community can come on for free, entirely for free. If you want to work in finance, come onto the Amplify Me platform and have a go. And I mean, use the simulation technology that all these banks are using to actually train their new hires to get them ready for life on the trading floor. Exactly the same training that you'd get if you're on the Morgan Stanley summer internship program. It's, it's free. It's on our platform, anyone, anywhere. And it's from your performance data how do you perform in these simulated roles? This is how we're finding talent. This is how we're finding Serena. Now, it's our challenge to make sure that Serena, in inverted commas, is aware of this platform and is aware of what it does and what it could do. So we need to get her on it. Once she's on it and she performs, then Morgan Stanley, come and check out this person. And it's about connecting the super talented. And I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your gender is, what your skin color is, what your socioeconomic background is. I don't care where you are in the world. I don't care what you're studying. Can you do these jobs? Because actually, I've been a trader for 20 years, and I can 100% tell you that the most important attribute of a trader has got zero to do with academics. Zero, zilch, nothing. It's about resilience. It's about self-discipline. It's about staying in control, being rational and logical in a very volatile world. And that's got nothing to do with academics. Just because you've got a first from maths from Cambridge doesn't mean you're definitely going to be good at that. You might be, but it doesn't mean you're definitely going to be. Serena at Bangor doing psychology may well be equally as good or better than you doing a first at maths from Cambridge. Yeah. And it, the, that's a, a great way to, to put it. And I, I can hear, I can hear that almost anger coming out from your yeah. pause, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, it's in, I myself, you know, this is again, part of the reason why I'm so supportive and motivated for this change that we're doing internally. It's because there's, 
there's such a strong reason that this we can help make a meaningful difference to this process and hopefully you know speed it up uh, a gear or two and you know the other thing here as well to talk about is the fact that you know you and i both having worked on trading floors know what the atmosphere was like the the, the hours the confrontations the stress and how that brings out you know different types of emotions but mental health has become more and more of a talking point particularly with younger people probably exacerbated by the pandemic most would say uh, just given the fact that you know there's people who've started university haven't even stepped in the, <laughs> into a university lecture theater or onto campus um, not being able to socialize which is obviously incredibly important in your in your younger years um, doing internships online virtually where you know the reality is you do a lot of that learning and networking when you're having those little corridor water cooler conversations <laughs> absolutely um so yeah i mean how how do you feel about i mean it's obviously a big topic but in terms yeah. of how i guess uh, the ability to be more informed about your options it kind of goes back to that idea of the career services yeah and as a young person I, I definitely know having interacted with students at certain types of unis particularly red bricks everyone's very competitive these are kind of, as you kind of alluded to, they're high quality caliber candidates. And it's almost like they're driven by their peer groups. And so they're all going to investment banking. Therefore, that's what I'm going to do. Without too much understanding of what exactly that is, what yeah. it entails. And it's this mis, you know, misalignment of expectations is just a killer. Um, and so, so what are your thoughts on that and, and how we can kind yeah. of help in on that front? I, I think I talked for a while as well here. We both feel, and, and you, I think, we, we've, we feel a profound responsibility. Uh, it's, it's quite a burden, but it's, like, it's almost like we have got ourselves into such a position here as I said, where we kind of sit in between, we bridge the gap. I think we're quite uniquely placed to see the problem. And with that comes then, yes, opportunity, but the, the burden and responsibility of actually genuinely making a difference and, and changing people's life and fixing this issue. And we're very, very, we work with young people every day. And we're very conscious of the, you know, difficult stage of their lives that they're at. So they're kind of at coming towards the end of their academic life. This is how I like to think about it, at least. They, yeah, they, so they're kind of, let's say they're at university, right? So you've been through school, now you're at uni. So it's all been academic, your academic journey. Um, and that's coming to an end. And that's quite that's quite daunting, isn't it? It's like, well, okay, I've, I've known academia all my life. And now, hang on, there's the brick wall, which is the end of my academia life. And now I've got to step out into the world and get a job. And it's an incredibly, you know, uncertain uh, time. And there's a lot of pressure. You obviously want to do well. Um, 
you've invested a lot of money or your family's invested a lot of money in your education. You know, it costs a huge amount to go to university these days. Fees, but then on top of that, living costs. And there's students out there that are working all the hours under the sun, you know, with jobs left, right and center to try and fund themselves. And it's such a massive effort that you want something to show for it. And so you want to get that job, the best job you can get. And it's like so much pressure. And so, and then on top of that, I think there's that um, sense that you've got a, you know, you've got one chance here. You're at the crossroads of one of the, one of life's great crossroads where you're coming to the end of that academic career. And now it's my professional career. And so where, whatever road or whatever path I take here, that's it. I'm set. So it's almost like they think, well, whatever job I decide to apply for, I've basically got to do that job for the rest of my life. That's what they think in their minds. And that just adds even more pressure. And, and I think it's impossible to decide what you want to do until you've actually started doing it. Yeah, fine. Oh, all your mates are applying for M&A at Goldman's or, well, actually, maybe that's not even the case. Maybe, you know, there are those trailblazers that go out and actually you're the only one of your mates applying for a bank. Um, but whatever the situation is, um, you know, how do you know you're, you're going to like M&A. You might like the sound of it, or you might like the money it pays, or you might like the prestige. Ooh, I, I can put Goldman's on my CV. You know, then my friends and my family and my community will recognize that as having succeeded. Um, as if getting to Goldman's, that's the holy grail done. I'm now done for life. That's not true at all. But, you know, it's all about what we want to do is help young people at that moment of uncertainty, at that crossroads. And a, reassure them by saying, actually, it's fine. You're not alone. Every single other person in your shoes is feeling exactly the same. Um, number two, well, don't just go blindly down one path because all your friends are going down it or because it's Goldman's or whatever. Actually, come with us. Come onto the Amplify Me platform and actually test out these jobs actually come and do them in simulated form. And then once you've done them, well, you get a performance report. And, and that, this actually can really show you if you're any good at it. And actually, I think as importantly as are you any good at it, have you got the natural skills for that role? That's one thing. The other thing is being honest with yourself. Do you actually, did you enjoy that? And I want people to do our simulations at the end of it. I want them to say, loved it, absolutely loved it. Oh, I got amazing scores here in the market making role on the sales and trading sim. Right. I loved it. Looks like I've got the natural skills for it. Perfect. Okay. Let's hook you up with Morgan Stanley for that role. Equally, I want people to finish the simulation and be honest with themselves and go, I hated it. I did not enjoy that. I just didn't like the feeling I had when I was in that scenario of managing risk and there was volatility and I was out of control and uncomfortable. And uh, I thought I wanted to apply for Morgan Stanley, but actually, you know what? I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to do that. And that, that's for us, that's equally as positive an outcome as that person that discovers that they do like it. So it's about trying all these roles out, actually trying them for real Putting some of that theory you might have been learning at uni, putting it into practice, 
uh, figuring out what these jobs are like, what do you like, what do you not like, but then also through your performance report, what, what are you good at? And that is impossible to know until you've started doing it. You know, you, you've never been in industry. So how can you possibly know that you're going to be a good trader or that you're going to be good in a sales role at an asset management firm or you're going to be great equity researcher? I mean, so, you know, definitely it's about helping young people when they're at this crossroads where there's a huge amount of uncertainty and pressure and all the mental health issues that go with that. We've, we've got your back. We want this platform to be the go-to place to help you at that moment in your life, help you make the best decision that you can make, help you get on the best possible path and get the best possible job on that path that you possibly can. But still with the caveat of, if it turns out you don't like that path, it's fine. You can change course. You know, I did. I was two years into my career, uh, asset management at HSBC on the kind of global macro strategy side. And I was two years in. It was only then that I realized, well, it was about 18 months in, I realized, actually, you know what? I, I now know what, what I want to do. I want to be a trader. I didn't figure that out until I was 18 months in. And so then I was like, right, okay, now I know. I've got to find my calling, right? Now I'm going to pivot and go and work for a trading firm. So it's actually fine. You don't need to, it's not the decision for life that some people think it is. And, and we just want to help that entire journey, you know, help me cross that bridge as yeah. best as we can. It's, it's interesting. There's two kind of things I picked up there, which is one is, you know, you have these big life decisions and choosing your career is one. And I was just thinking of like, recent things in my life like moving house buying yeah. a car like you don't i mean you, you know so you buy a car for example and it's like you do all this reading right you go online you might watch youtube videos of jeremy clarkson giving you the rundown because you because you think he knows what he's talking about but you don't just got order one online <laughs> and just go yeah i'll have it delivered please i mean well some people might <laughs> But majority don't. What do you do? You go to the forecourt, you pick one that you like, the model, you take it for a spin, you might try others, yeah. and you find the one you want. Kind of like with a house, it's a meaningful commitment for life, or for most people, over yeah. the long term to pay for it. So you want to be as assured of that decision as possible. If you're moving to a new area, some people might rent, get to know it, What's the area like? What's the community like? And then you do this full assessment of the actual engineering of the house. What quality is it? Uh, you know, all of these things. And then you make a decision. It's almost like, so what? Just because everyone says jump into Bitcoin, you jump into Bitcoin. <laughs> some people might do that and get lucky. But like you're saying, in a career, it kind of makes sense, right? If you can be more informed, you're going to make a better decision. Yeah, and I think that really cuts to what I'm trying to say. And the other thing, just to add to one of your points here is about, and I really like the idea that whenever I've interacted with the students doing the simulations is after they've done certain ones or they've been with us for a period um, and they, I always say to them, look, it's okay to like, not like something. And I always kind of think back to my younger self. When I was um, in my twenties, definitely in my early twenties coming out of uni, 
I was definitely of that mindset of the, no, I, I could be good at everything. You know, show me something and I can pick it up. I can do it. And I think as you get older and I think you get more confident within yourself through your professional and personal uh, development, let's say, you start to understand that really uh, I am of a certain type of way, personality and skill-wise, and I can probably excel and really leverage up on what I'm good at. And then I can manage my weaknesses rather than trying to be this jack of all trades. And it's okay to be good at a very focused thing. And when I have explained before to people who have nothing to do with markets, uh, particularly because I've had interactions with like 15 year olds, I kind of say to them, look, think about say, you know, a, a, a major football club. So big teams like Barcelona, or, you know, Man City or God forbid Tottenham. Tottenham. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, think about that as an investment bank. And you've got the opportunity to recruit players from all around the world for your singular team. And yet within that team, everyone has a very unique purpose. So your guy who's a central defender or a sweeper has a completely different, not just skill, but mindset to the person who's a striker, who you want to be selfish. You want yep. them to be self-absorbed, <laughs> egotistical, because you want them to have that ability to be hungry to score. Whereas the guy who's a defender, you want him to put his neck on the line for the team. And so the point being is it doesn't matter like who you are, what skills you have, there's a role for you within that team. Absolutely. It's just about educating yourself about what are the positions because you just might not know. But in an investment bank, there's a whole spectrum of different roles that cover everything from the most interpersonal, high degree of soft skills to the most complex technical skill base. But all of these work together in harmony and what they're trying to achieve, just like a football club, is maximum potential out of each role. So collectively, you have the best team in the world. And, and, and that's the way I kind of see it with these roles. It's just that, you know, as I said, there's a lot of people that don't know. And it's okay if you find that role then to understand that role and go with it. But look, I think, I think Piers, unless there's anything else you wanted to well, add, we should... I'll just finish by saying that's such a great analogy, by the way. I've never heard you say that. That's, I love it. And actually, banks have now understood that it's not about hiring people because of their, uh, whatever, university or their CV or their background. It's hiring, it's finding people who've got the specific talent for the different roles that they're recruiting for. And up until now, they haven't been able to measure that. They haven't been able to measure someone's potential in these different roles, but now they have. And all these banks are super keen to adopt the Amplify Me um, platform as their sort of access point into a much broader, much more diverse pool of candidates. And so banks like Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse and um, RBC and Citigroup and buy side firms like Martin Curry and Quadrature and 
all these firms and, and many more are very interested in using the Amplify Me platform to find talent. And that's, that does define people that have got natural potential ability in specific roles. And so this is a this Amplify Me platform. It's a genuine pathway to getting hired at these big firms for your talent. It's getting hired for talent, not because of your background or because of your CV. And, and that is super exciting. And it's going to be game changing. Yeah, so as a reminder, then it's the 15th of September, 2021, that that platform is going to officially be launched. So we're recording this, it's a week from now, this episode is going out. And so, yeah, we'd love to have you as part of that community. In addition to access to these simulations, myself and Eddie, Eddie Donmez, who was on the podcast last week, and you, you probably see him on the YouTube channel fairly frequently, he and I will be purely producing content for that community. So to surplus the simulation, the living and breathing of these roles, we're also going to give you the intel that will help you then secure that job once you know which role you want to do through the technology. And so that platform has that, that community feel as well. And you know, I'm very proud of the alumni and community that we've grown over the years. And we've had lots of different industry speakers now who've you know, have gone to do amazing things and they come back and invest their time back into the community to help then the next people coming through, given that they themselves trod that path just a, just a few years back. So yeah, 15th of set, you just need to go to amplifyme.com from next Wednesday, the 15th, and take it from there. So Piers, great to um, catch up. You know, I really wanted to to do this just because I think people who've known us for a long time, um, and especially from the trader community, um, weren't quite crystal clear about this because they're a different segment, if you like, of the people that we're focusing on. But so for those guys, I love you. I always will. But that doesn't mean you can't still access all of the content. And in fact, I'm probably going to be putting out even more content across our social channels and on the and Amplify Me platform. So you guys are always welcome in my house. <laughs> so don't worry about that. But yeah, we'll wrap it up there, Piers. You and I will reconnect on Friday, normal routine. Yeah. We'll talk about a couple of things in markets, obviously Bitcoin, El Salvador. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned and uh, we'll catch you guys Friday. Thanks, son. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.